anybody who knows Zizek's theory at all finds that laughable. But to be charitable to Chomsky, it's very, very easy to think that on a first go through one of Zizek's books. Right. It seems like he's just kind of doing this free associative connect the dots thing. And um, he's not. I mean, he is, but he's not. So here's what I had to say about it. So Zizek's style is both the condition of possibility and the condition of impossibility of his theory. His style is his Fichtean anstos, impetus and obstacle. That is, it's what enables him to make all of the systematic connections he makes, but what also prevents him from systematically connecting them. So, okay, and I owe this great insight to Todd McGowan, but Fichte, who you know, is one of the four German idealists, the one that people talk about the least, but Fichte came up with this idea of Anstos, which at least how Todd interprets it, it is both the impetus and the obstacle. It's the, the driving force of something and yet the thing that also gets in the driving force's way. So it's its own engine, its own motor, and its own stumbling block. Mm -hmm. And so Zizek's style is that. His style enables him to do theory in a productive way. And yet it's also what prevent, prevents him from organizing it in a way, say, Kant or Hegel or Heidegger would have, right? Like the reason he is original is precisely because he has this style, this way of thinking, yet it's also what has prevented him from being taken seriously by a lot of other kinds of philosophers who aren't steeped into the continental tradition that you and I are. Right. And so the funny thing, Dave, um, for those of us who know Heidegger, in Heideggerian terms, Zizek's style is what paradoxically makes his philosophical capability simultaneously ready to hand and unready to hand. They're, it's both at the same time. Uh, Zizek has a philosophical ontological system but one that he cannot have developed in a, in a systematic way. Like it, this, it requires this, his system requires his unsystematic approach. And that's what's bizarre about it. Uh, uh, and again, is that, what, is that what you're, is that kind of your argument? Is that what you're going to, is that the theme here? Well, no, I mean, I'm just, I'm, uh, at first I'm, what I'm trying to say is one, he is a philosophical genius a profoundly original thinker and two there's a uh, there's a justification at least a superficial one for why people don't see that in him okay. that you have to work really hard to get to see how this philosophical system works that makes in sense. a way that if, you, if you're familiar with spinoza's ethics or leibniz's monadology right like if that's how you approach reading systematic philosophy, you're not going to get it like that at all from Zizek. And so, um, but I say, do not let this free associate, free associational unsystematic style fool you. He is a systematic thinker. Zizek's theoretical vignettes build to a consistent overarching theory. Now I'm going to read a quote real quick. This is, um, as this is a quote from Jody Dean's great book, Zizek's politics. And in this quote, Jody Dean is talking about Ernesto Laclau and, and what he said about Zizek. Hmm. Um, 
Jody Dean says, Zizek is not an analytically formal or traditional political philosopher. What Ernesto Laclau says of Zizek's early tour de force, the sublime object of ideology, also applies to Zizek's work more generally. Rather than a systematic structure in which an argument is developed according to a predetermined plan, Zizek provides a series of theoretical interventions which shed mutual light on each other, not in terms of the progression of the argument, but in terms of what we could call the reiteration of the latter in different discursive contexts. Zizek might begin an article or book chapter with a question or observation, something along the lines of, have you ever noticed the difference between French, German, and British toilets? He will offer an explanation uh, for the difference, and then he might suggest a second explanation that is diametrically opposed to the first. He will likely conclude by observing how the first and second explanations are two sides of the same coin, this is the dialectical approach, and how these two seemingly opposed interpretations, we in fact encounter a certain unity, which we, we, we encounter a certain unity in these two opposed interpretations. Saying the opposite can be just another way of saying the same thing if we push the idea far enough. So I think Jody Dean and Ernesto LeCloud do a great job of framing Zizek's style. And so here's the point, right? So, you know, I wrote the I wrote a line-by-line commentary of the first chapter of Sublime Object of Ideology on my blog. And what I tried to do there, the be- to the best of my ability, is show the underlying overarching argument throughout that whole chapter. It took a lot of work to try to show the overarching argument. And so I think, I, here's what's strange. He can be read two ways where one, you try to connect all of the sections into one overarching argument, or you read them as kind of philosophical vignettes or little standalones. Here's the point. The reason you can turn these into one overarching argument is because they all exist in a, in a systematic connection. So all of these Lacanian Hegelian concepts, he's always refining how they all connect to each other. And so if, if you learn the system, you can see what he's doing in each of the sections of the book, and you can understand the background theory or the background context um, that gives them an overarching argument. So I just wanted to say that because I know a lot of people read Zizek because he's so popular, but they immediately write him off because I think, I mean, the most common thing I hear people say is, you know, I, I, I feel like I understand what he's saying in part, and then I read 10 more pages and I just have no idea how we got to the topic we're at now. Right. And so I'm trying to say like why that is. And I'm also trying to say, don't write him off as just being you know, inconsistent because that's, that's not what's going on. There's a lot more theoretical nuance to what he's doing than that. What was the, uh, the term you used there? The Fichtean, the Fichtean, Ah, right? Yeah. Anstost. Anstost. And it's obviously German. It's a German word and it's spelled A-N-S-T-O-S-S. And so I've got the copy of, Fichte's book, and um, 
I, I think Todd told me that he thinks the translation of Anstoff's is bad. It's one of these terms like Differance or Objet Petit Off that should just remain untranslated uh, because it carries these two meanings of impetus and obstacle, right. force and um, um, roadblock, whatever, however we want to talk about it. And so, right, like that's that's why it's, it's linked to OJR because... And again, like this is, here's the thing, right? We're at the point in our conversations and this is what happens. Like, you know, I've listened to all of Todd McGowan and Ryan Ingley's podcast, Why Theory. And here's the thing, you and I have this ongoing conversation and it's to the point where I'm sitting here going, I just can't define OJR again. Like I can't go into this whole thing. Like there has to be some, and, and that's what's not, that's what's hard about this, right? Because I would love for new people who haven't watched any other other ones to be able to follow this, but every episode of or every installment of you and me talking Lacan and Zizek and all this, I just can't redefine everything if we're gonna do anything new. You know what I mean? Right. But real real simply, which again, if if you guys have listened to the other conversations, this will make sense. Objet petit a is both impetus of desire and obstacle of desire. And which is to say it causes desire. It gets desire up and running. It motivates desire to desire. But at the same time, it's the very thing that blocks desire from ever getting satisfied, right? It blocks desire because it's an unattainable object. It's not a thing, right? It's, it's a, a positivized void, right? Um, and again, if you've been, you've listened to the other episodes, you, you'll follow this, but right. that's the thing, right? So it causes desire, gets up, desire uh, up and running, but it's also what prevents desire from ever actually fulfilling itself and being satisfied. So it's an anstos in the Fichtean sense. And so then, you know, the, before we really get into the heart of the lecture, the only other thing I want to briefly touch on is... Um, and I got a, another great quote from Jody Dean. I was looking through her book and it's really, really good. Um, and so the, you know, Zizek is the philosopher of pop culture in a lot of ways now. And, and I mean, it's funny, it's easy to contrast him to Adorno who, you know, is known for his hatred of the culture industry and everything, but Zizek it's not merely that, oh, I'm going to explain difficult concepts in relation to pop culture examples so people have a more, uh, it, it's easier for them to comprehend what I'm saying. There's, a, there's something else going on. So Jody Dean explains it like this. In For They Know Not What They Do, Zizek says that at the center of the theoretical space of that book and its predecessor, The Sublime Object of Ideology, is, of course, the author's, and as the author hopes, also the reader's, enjoyment in popular culture. Mm. At the center of his thinking, then, is enjoyment, or jouissance, his and others. Enjoyment, for Zizek, is a term of art, a technical Lacanian concept that denotes an intense, excessive pleasure in pain. Enjoyment, by its very nature, is excessive, something that can lure us into a kind of idiotic stupor or ecstatic state 
Moreover, as I hope to make clear in this book, <clears throat> our relationship to enjoyment is never easy, never innocent. Enjoyment can be that extra kick on behalf of which we do our duty. Sorry about that extra $20 I tacked onto your ticket, ma'am, but, well, it's the law. Or, these comments I wrote on your paper may seem cruel, but, well, it's really for your own good. So when Zizek says that his enjoyment of popular culture and ours is at the center of these books, he is not simply referring to the pleasures of Hollywood films. Rather, he is calling our attention to the way that we all, in contemporary consumer-driven entertainment society, enjoy popular culture and the way this enjoyment binds us into the ideological formation that supports global capital. Mm. So that's that's why there like there's a philosophy behind him using so much pop culture. He's trying to say the jouissance or the enjoyment we get from pop culture is what unconsciously gets us to willingly help reproduce the capitalist system because God forbid we lose our preferred forms of entertainment. And and I see this as like a big overlap between the two of you because you're a pop culture enjoyer to the extreme. That's why I feel like you wrote it to me. Right. I mean, my, I mean, my God. So for my, my birthday, I uh, went and bought a couple movies and they're just <laughs> some of the shittiest, 80s movies you like i i'm part of my enjoyment is tapped into watching just the cheesiest raunchiest most obscene films from that era um part of it is because so many of them i didn't get to watch but i saw the covers of them in my local mom and pop video store you know i've told you many times about it was called video biz and so I have such an enjoyment in spending my hard-earned money on trash films. Like, it's pure jouissance, right? Um, and their movies I'll probably watch once, maybe twice. And so there's no real utility in me having them. But at the end of the day, it's a form of enjoyment I have that I kind of I need to be able to do this once in a while to function. And so I'm. it's my way of being hooked on capital even though obviously I'm an anti-capitalist um, that's part of what why I think Zizek's so great In an attempt to bring in new people to the world of philosophy and theory while building on relationships already established we are doing a countrywide tour of the United States this fall. What's up, guys? It's Anna Dave. Are we coming to a city or a town near you? Do you think there is a venue or audience in your local region that would be interested in a lecture or facilitated discussion about existentialism, critiques of therapism, PMC ideology, self-help, introduction to philosophy, or the time-energy critique of any of those things? This speaking and discussion facilitation tour will include the Pacific Northwest, in mid-August, the Kansas City, Missouri area, late August or early September, Philadelphia at the beginning of October, 
and really we're going to be all over the area there hopefully so get in contact with us if you think that we should come visit your state Phoenix, Arizona, mid-October, and SoCal, especially San Diego, late October. I say especially San Diego because we already have our guide for the San Diego region. What's the difference between a host, a guide, and a volunteer, you ask? Well, thanks for asking, actually. The volunteer role is for people who want to put up posters or in other ways promote the events that will be occurring in their town or city. Whereas the host might have a guest bedroom, guest house, or a place that we can park our van so that we can sleep in our van. We need to know if you would have like bathroom facilities or anything like that. And so the form on the website is where you can tell us what you have to offer. Guiding on the other hand though, people who love to guide take a lot of pride in their local knowledge. A good example of that would be Michael Downs when I visited him in Raytown, Missouri. And he took me into Kansas City and we had barbecue and he took me to the mall and to all these other landmark places from his life growing up there. Um, but a more recent example would be my friend Michael in Poland who took us around Katowice, Poland and basically gives a historical and sociological analysis of everything. And it was amazing. Is that it was one of the coolest things we've ever experienced and it made us realize some people just want to provide the space and privacy whereas other people want to take you out and show you around and so if you're interested in being a volunteer host or guide we have a special form for that so please fill out your information and uh, get in contact with us as soon as possible so we can fit you into the schedule because we'll love to meet you touch base with the local community and if you don't think anyone else in your area is interested in the things that you're interested in, if you don't think anyone else is into this stuff, well, we might be able to surprise you. When I saw that poster, Bolgrillard in Boise fucking Idaho, are you kidding me? It was virtually an, an answer to an unspoken prayer, you know, really was. And I just couldn't believe that somebody was interested in the things that I was interested in that I had been interested in for years and had kind of given up on in, in futility. I'd labored in solitude for so long, I had no one to talk to about it, no one to bounce ideas off. This tour is going to bring together a lot of people who want to be based in text with the people they're in conversation with. and. Yeah, I think it's going to be a fantastic year. The only other thing that I want to say is that Michael Downs' first book is going to be published by Theory Underground really soon here. I've got another book coming out really soon here. These books will be spread throughout the United States on this tour. So I'm hoping to be able to do some actual book launch events at various bookstores. Outside of that, I guess the last thing that I would say is that Michael Downs is gearing up to teach For They Know Not What They Do by Slavoj Žižek. We're putting out all these introduction videos and other interviews related to the topic of Hegel, Lacan, Žižek because we want to give people an accessible and sturdy basis in the discourse. The problem is, is that Michael Downs is very busy having to work at a wage slave job. And so if you want to help in freeing Mikey, make sure to go to his Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the dangerous baby and make a donation. Thank you. 
I would be remiss to close this out without a quick shout out to our patrons and our anonymous donors. Thank you so much for the donations already. We've only been around for a month. We already got over $3,000 in donations. Um, and so thank you. And uh, stay tuned for the app, which is on its way. There will be a Fury Underground app. So the current setup is that it is a social media site built around courses where you can suppose that people who are involved in the discussions have a shared interest in the same or similar texts and where you can assume in a lot of the discussions that, yeah, people have read the stuff that you're reading, uh, that you're bringing into dialogue. And so, uh, for instance, the idea of the university by Carl Jaspers, dedicated forum. Slavoj Zizek for they don't know what they do, dedicated forum. And then as people take the course over the years, new people will be coming into that forum. And so if you get in there early, you'll be able to see how the conversation evolves. And as new people add into the conversation, it'll bring back memories and like things that you want to work through, questions that you had with the first time that you read the text. And so I'm really excited for this. The reason I've built this website is because I think that this is what's lacking in so many other spaces is that ability to return to be able to communicate after the fact and in a sustained way on a platform that's not attention grabby and annoying like discord and so stay tuned because there is an app on the way thank you to our donors if you want to donate go to theory underground.com forward slash support thank you